Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all of them, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga, and I am your host. It is episode 151 we are at today, and I actually just got an email from Podbean, who hosts my podcast, saying, yay, you <coughs> you uh, crossed 150 episodes. And I want to say, hey, that was last week. <laughs> but um, no, I'm super excited about hitting these mini milestones. And it's really just, you know, honestly, it's just, um, our, well, I guess number one, it's a reflection of the fact that I love doing the podcast. And um, number two, I mean, it's really just, I think, a demonstration of just keeping showing up, just continuing to show up. And I just encourage you, if you have something that you want to achieve in your life and it seems like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do it or an insurmountable hump to get over, just um, keep applying yourself. Just keep showing up. Just keep doing the work. And um, I don't even necessarily know where I'm going with this podcast. I mean, it kind of feels to me like an ongoing conversation, uh, <laughs> hence the name conversations for yoga teachers. So, you know, on some level, I think that sort of helps. It's, it's part of my routine to show up for you on Mondays and to record an episode. And um, yet at the same time, I think that, you know, you might have something in your life you want to achieve. And maybe you're feeling like I can't get uh, going on that because it just seems like it's such a big hill to climb. Just chunk it out and just show up and just keep showing up. And pretty soon you'll be well on your way. I'm a big fan of momentum. And I know sometimes when I talk to people and they want to start a podcast, they get, you know, kind of stuck on the technical aspects of it and how to get started. And honestly, you just pull out your laptop and you just talk to your laptop and you just start. And I think that you can use that as a metaphor for any project. So I just encourage you, if you're out there and listening to this and there's something that you've been putting off, something that you want to do, hey, maybe you want to start a podcast. <laughs> just do it. Just start it. Just put one foot in front of the other and get going. And pretty soon you'll be at 150 episodes or you'll have that project completed or you'll have that task done or that blog built or whatever it is that is inspiring you these days. So I'm recording this on October 4th, 2021. And um, I also just want to say thank you to you, the listener, because I wouldn't have a podcast if it weren't for you. Uh, although honestly, I would probably still do it. 
Uh, I don't really pay a lot of attention to, you know, some of the statistics that they send me beyond the big ones, like how many episodes and how many downloads. Um, but I do see notes every now and again, you know, this person's following that person's following. And I just really, really, really appreciate it. Um, it's a little bit of like having a conversation with yourself. So I appreciate any feedback I get from you, whether it's, uh, an email or a comment on social media or whatever. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You know, today, as I, um, yeah, sit down to record this podcast episode. One of the things that is top of mind for me these days is how you are doing. So I'm going to ask you, yoga teacher, how are you doing? <laughs> and the reason I'm asking that is because quite honestly, it feels a little isolating to me these days. Uh, I feel like with the lack of um, studios being open, uh, on full schedules and some studios not having survived the pandemic. You know, matter of fact, I was just in uh, Brookline, uh, Coolidge Corner area, which is a, a popular area here uh, on the Boston Marathon route in the Boston area. And I saw that a local cafe was shutting down and there was a long line of people outside. And I did a little Googling as I was standing outside the place and um, come to find out it had been open for three years, which I sort of knew. And the owner was quoted in an article as saying, you know, the past 18 months for her have been super tough and she's just out, you know, the pandemic just, just not physically took her out, meaning she didn't get COVID, but just the impact on her small business. She has a gourmet shop slash cafe kind of breakfast lunch. And she's right in Coolidge Corner, a really well-trafficked area. Um, and she just decided she can't do it anymore. And so it just, it just breaks my heart. All these stories, certainly if they're yoga studios that are experiencing things like this, just really breaks my heart. And at the same time, I know that there is opportunity for someone else to come in, for some other, um, you know, cafe owner or yoga teacher to start a studio and realize their dream of owning a studio. So I, I definitely see both sides of the same coin. Um, but at the same time, you know, I am feeling personally a little isolated from what's happening with you as a yoga teacher. And you know, thank goodness that I have contact with yoga teachers regularly um, who are enrolled in my blueprint learning program, because that's a way for me to keep a finger on the pulse of what is going on with yoga teachers these days, given everything that's changed in our industry. And so this is really a shout out to you, the yoga teacher. I want to know how you're doing. Um, and, and, you know, obviously you can share whatever you want, but this is, this is really focused on um, you're teaching, not so much personally, but obviously if you're going through something and you're willing to share that, I'm more than happy to be a listener uh, in that regard. What I'm really looking for though is, are you teaching? Are you still teaching primarily virtually? Have you begun to go back to teaching in person? How's that been? How are the students reacting to being in the studio? Um, uh, are you finding opportunities to teach because you're looking to fill your schedule up, you know, what's going on for you in that regard. So if you're uh, interested in sharing your story, I'd love to feature you on the podcast here. So just reach out to me via email 
or you can DM me on Instagram and let me know that you are happy and willing and interested to do a 15 minute chat here on the podcast where we can share your story. Um, you know, I did have an opportunity last week to speak to a studio owner, um, and that was really eye-opening for me. I mean, it wasn't that I heard anything that surprised me, but again, anytime I have a chance to connect with teachers, studio owners in particular, uh, during this time, I, it's just, uh, I, I just love it because I just love hearing, you know, what's going on with people, what are they finding is working, what are they finding is challenging, um, so those are just some thoughts, uh, on that. So again, if you are interested, uh, and willing to come on to the podcast and share your story, I would love to feature you. Now, there's another thing I want to go over before we get into today's content. And I, I want your opinion. <laughs> so this is the kind of thing where you can just DM me on Instagram with your opinion. Um, and that would be really helpful. So as many of you probably know, because I've mentioned it before, um, my signature program is called the Blueprint Learning Program. And this is my program to teach you anatomy so that you can share it confidently. And I always you know, mention that when I talk about my program, it's not just to teach you anatomy, it's to teach you anatomy so you can share it with your students. And how are you going to do that? You're going to share it in the cues and the sequences and the conversations you have with them. So it's always drilling down to the actual skills that you're going to have when you put the time in to really, truly, once and for all, learn anatomy. And I was listening to a coaching call the other day with my business mentor, and he was saying to the student um, that the name of that student's program was a little bit vague. And um, he was saying, you know, your, your program really needs to clearly state what it does and who it's for. And I started to think, I don't think my program does that. It's called the Blueprint Learning Program, and it could be a blueprint about anything. And I guess I'm wondering when you, the yoga teacher, who's never um, really heard of my program before or, or participated in any of the open enrollments I've done for it, where I've opened up an offer page that goes into detail about the program itself, do you know what it's about? I mean, you might hear the word Blueprint Learning Program and just think, well, I don't know, blueprint about what? So I'm thinking of changing the name to the Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program for yoga teachers. I think that's pretty clear, <laughs> but I would love to know what you think. So if you can send me a direct message on Instagram, let me know that you heard this query here on the podcast today. And you could just say like, hey, it makes no difference to me. You know, I'm connected to you on social media or listen to your podcast. So I kind of assumed it was about anatomy because I know that that's your passion and interest. I don't know any feedback you can give me. So the choice is the blueprint learning program is totally fine as the name of the program, or yeah, you definitely should think about changing it. And I think the name, the anatomy blueprint learning program for yoga teachers sounds good. So any feedback you can give me, I'm just doing a little market research and leveraging the pod, uh, the podcast here to do that. Um, so any feedback, I would be truly grateful. So um, the last thing announcement wise, I wanted to mention before we get into today's topic is I would love for you to mark your calendars for October 20th at 2 p.m. because I'm going to do a free webinar. And because it's a webinar format, I'm going to have 
um, you know, somewhat the somewhat typical format of running through a slide deck. Uh, however, I think um, as much as I actually don't like PowerPoint slides or running through a slide deck, what it affords me is the opportunity to show you uh, pictures of muscles. And so because I'm going to use that format, I'm going to do a one hour webinar that breaks down a handful of anatomy based cues into their anatomy. So this will really be of interest to you, the yoga teacher, I would imagine, if you are out there using cues wondering what the heck is the anatomy behind these cues. And it'll give you a chance to learn the anatomy, to see the anatomical components associated with those cues. Uh, so that is going to be October 20th at 2 p.m. It is free. And over the next week or so, I will have the registration page where you can sign up. So for today's topic, I wanted to talk about, you know, kind of a somewhat related topic, although this is just audio. So we're going to miss out on all the, you know, kind of visual aspects. And I'm a fan of learning in any modality. And so I think that you can definitely learn from here on the podcast, listening to the conversation about different teaching techniques and anatomy uh, themes. Um, I think though, for the most well-rounded approach, you definitely have to see the muscles we're talking about. However, today I wanted to do a quick review focused on cues. And, you know, for those of you who have um, heard some of my uh, conversations before about cueing, you know that I break up cues into four types, action, alignment, anatomy, and somatic or feeling-based cues. And I am hell-bent on driving that uh, blueprint, that format, um, that framework home, because I'm thoroughly convinced, and I know this from talking to, to teachers I train, that when you uh, categorize cues in that way, it helps you as the yoga teacher organize your thoughts when you are teaching. And your students will benefit from a teaching approach that's organized. They will not benefit from one that is rehearsed, that is trying to be like somebody else, that is um, you know, a, a, a format or an approach where the teacher is feeling uncomfortable or feeling, you know, like an imposter, all those things just get in the way of the teacher really presenting clearly. And clear presentation is one of the central themes of effective teaching, because let's face it, if we're not clear uh, in our communication, our students don't know, will not know what the heck we want them to do. And so one of the best ways that you can be clearer in your communication with your students, i.e. the cues you share, is to have a framework for your cues. And one of the best ways to create that framework is to start to recognize that the cues you share generally will fall into certain categories. And those are the four that I just mentioned, um, action, alignment, uh, anatomy and feeling based. So in today's conversation, I'm not necessarily going to focus on just anatomy based cues like I will in the upcoming webinar. I'm going to really just focus on um, different types of cues. And as we go through them, I'll tag them as such. So you have an idea of the type of cue it is. And for the conversation today, I've picked some kind of, I've picked some different poses, you know, poses that I think don't 
typically get uh, discussed because they're not commonly taught. One of them is more commonly taught than the other one, uh, other ones. But I wanted to just kind of go into some different postures so that um, we have a chance to look at them and not just the, you know, the, the poses that get broken down most commonly, things like warrior one and two, up dog and down dog. We definitely need to understand all the poses. And when I say all the poses, I don't mean literally everyone, because I I wonder how many yoga poses are there? There must be <laughs> hundreds. Um, but I think just like the muscles of the body. I mean, you have about 600 muscles in your body, but when I teach anatomy, I don't teach you 600 muscles. I really focus on about 80. So I think when we look at poses and the number of poses, uh, we're probably primarily as teachers, we're probably all teaching about 50 poses. Maybe that's a guess on my part. If you've got a guess, send me a DM and let me know how many poses you think generally are taught uh, by teachers. And of course, that's kind of a kind of a challenging question because it really depends on what style of yoga you teach and and that kind of thing. But it's a fun topic to think about, right? So um, for today, the first pose we're going to take a look at is tree pose, and you know, let's first obviously tree is a balancing posture, and and I think that it is helpful to just kind of start out our conversation looking at you know the the actual shape of tree. So you know, we already know we're standing on one leg because it's a balancing posture. So as soon as we stand on one leg, what are some of the skills we need to draw upon to stay in the posture? You know, some of those skills reside in our nervous system. So they're not really muscular in nature. They're more proprioceptive in nature. Our balance is part of our vestibular system and our inner ear. So some of these things are not within our volitional control, like the relationship between our uh, nervous system and skeletal muscle, right? So that's voluntary action. As I stand in a balancing posture, I can voluntarily contract, concentrically contract the quadriceps of the standing leg to straighten the leg more, but I can't, you know, really voluntarily deal with my inner ear system and how that affects my sense of balance. You know, that's like saying to somebody who's seasick on a boat, Hey, just cut it out. <laughs> they can't, right. It's just part of, part of what's going on with the vestibular system and how it affects their balance. Uh, however, there is a group of muscles that is absolutely key when we look at any posture where we're standing on one leg, especially a front-facing posture like tree. And that is the lateral hip complex. Because when we stand on one leg and we want the shape to be front-facing, meaning pelvis level, hips facing forward, uh, pelvis centered and facing forward, we have to depend on the muscles that surround the hip, especially the lateral aspect of each hip in order to keep the pelvis level. And so the prime candidates there are the gluteus medius and minimus and the tensor fascia lata leading into the IT band. And you know, once you get past the TFL, you're really working down the lateral aspect of the thigh of the femur. So you're kind of out of the hip area. But as we talk about a lot, everything's connected. And certainly when you look at the lateral hip musculature, you have a very um, specific connectedness there between those four muscles, glute med, glute min, TFL, and IT band. And another interesting muscle to think about here with respect to keeping the pelvis 
level is the QL, the quadratus lumborum. So the QL runs from the top edge of the pelvis along the lateral, uh, along the um, lumbar vertebrae, and then crosses over to that lower rib and then down again to the pelvis. So that quad shape, right? Quadratus lumborum of that muscle on both sides of the pelvis is going to keep the pelvis level as well. So now that you have an idea of that aspect of the posture, the other kind of obvious piece here is connecting to the musculature of the standing leg, because that's the only support you've got. You know, once you take one foot off the ground, the standing leg becomes the primary source of connectedness to the floor. So quadriceps here would be key as we look at uh, knee extension. And then I don't get into a lot of foot musculature when I teach anatomy, but obviously there is a lot of foot musculature. One aspect that I do talk about in the myofascial component is the plantar fascia. And because that is such a thick band of tissue on the base of the foot, any issues with the plantar fascia will be problematic for people as they take on balancing postures. And then the last piece, before we get into the Q aspect of tree, the last piece to think about in terms of tree pose is the impact of core musculature in creating balance. If someone stands in tree pose and they have no uh, awareness of their core, they'll tend to sit in the standing hip. And you'll even notice if, if you even do it now, just stand up and take tree pose and have no engagement of any core muscle. You might notice you just kind of sit in your, if you stand on your left leg, you just kind of sit in your left hip, almost like if you put your hand on your hip, it's just like you're standing with your hip sticking out. But as soon as you root down into the standing leg, and draw the belly button in and hug the sides of the body in. Now you're recruiting the rectus abdominis and the transversus abdominis to create more stability around the center of the body. As you root into the floor, you're creating more action in the quadriceps to create more stability through the standing leg. And then as far as those lateral hip stabilizers, you could cue people to hug the hips in uh, and, or hug the sides of the body in, and that may engage some of that musculature to create stability in the posture. The other thing to think about is to just describe for people, you know, what are the actions that you want to see? So you could say things like root into your standing leg, hug the sides of the body in to create a level pelvis draw the belly button in and hug the sides of the, of the uh, abdomen in or hug the sides of the body in to create a more level and stable pelvis. So you're kind of giving them the action cue and describing visually what you want to see. And it's not really about you as a teacher wanting to see it in them, but you're describing to them the action cue and the action you want them to create by implementing that action. So those are some cues you can do. And you know, if we kind of start from, start from the beginning, if we were to cue tree, some things you could use is you could say, uh, uh, root into your standing leg, bring your, let's say we were doing it on the left side. So root into your left leg, bring your right foot up to your inner left thigh, draw the belly button in, hug the sides of the hips, 
and the waist in. Reach your arms up in the air and take a couple breaths, right? So that's one approach. The other aspect that I didn't include, which you certainly can, is speaking to the external rotation of the standing of the um, hip of the leg in the air. So as we take that upper hip back, we're creating more of an opening, more of that external rotation. So you could, as you say to people, take the upper knee back, that's emphasizing that external rotation. There's not much more else, unless you're gonna get into the anatomy of it, there's not that much more else you wanna really say there. It's really just a matter of you know, taking the knee back. You could use kind of the yoga translation to open the hip, which doesn't literally speak to external rotation, but is essentially what it is. And then one last thing for this posture, you know, there's always that, you know, sort of thought out there that you don't want people to put their foot on the inner part of the knee. Um, I don't really subscribe to this. I mean, it's not like I'm going to teach people, Hey, can you put your foot on your knee and press really hard into the side of your knee? That would be dumb. Right. <laughs> but I'm not by the same token, I'm not going to say, um, bring your foot to bring your right foot to your inner leg of the standing leg. Don't put it on the inside of your knee because you'll damage your knee. Because now I've got people all kind of focused on the damage that they could potentially create, which I don't really know if that's even an accurate representation <laughs> of what could happen. I've actually seen some um, comments out there by uh, different people who are clinical anatomists and biomechanic uh, experts who talk about the amount of force that you could actually put on your knee with your own foot, not even being sufficient to create any real damage. Um, I, I want you to just kind of think about throwing out that kind of warning just from a commonsensical approach and just see, does it pass the mustard test with you when you just kind of remove yourself from some of the yoga industry stuff teachers say, and just look at it logically. Like, do you think it would actually be possible for you? I, I don't know. Like I haven't done significant Google scholar, you know, PubMed research to know definitively if you can create damage in your own knee with the pressure of your own other foot. I think maybe if you did it every single day, for an extended period of time, yeah, maybe you could, but in the absence of that scenario, which is never gonna happen, again, I'm not really here to say what's right and what's wrong. I don't think any of us are. I think that in the limited time that we have to share cues, we might as well share things that are things we want people to do. Um, if there is something that you believe anatomically is potentially injurious to someone, yeah, you're going to say it, but I think this is one of those things that's been out there for a long time. I'm not really sure how valid it is. So that kind of covers our tree pose breakdown, gives us a little bit to work with in terms of tree. So let's take a look at the next pose, which is crow. So crow pose is another balancing posture. It is an arm balance. So this kind of can, for some students, bring up some you know, apprehension. I actually, um, quick side story here, had a student that came to my classes for years and every single time I would call out crow, um, this student would go to the bathroom. And this was a studio where, interestingly, the bathroom was right in the studio. So, you know, you would be, you know, there was like the studio room and there was a door right off the studio room, you know, so when you were practicing, 
you could hear people flushing the toilet. Um, and so it was very obvious this student wanted nothing to do with crow pose. And for years, every time I said, let's do crow, this person would go into the bathroom and then come back out and then join us again. So I think that it was pretty obvious to me. Um, and I had asked this student a couple of times that they wanted to do any work with different postures and you know there was really no interest there so you're not going to force yourself on somebody um you're just going to let them practice in the way that they're practicing and that's that's what they're comfortable with uh for crow pose you know there's there's a coordinated approach here between the um actions you want them to do and the muscles you're trying to get them to engage and it's really up to you if you want to share the muscle aspect, the anatomical aspect with them. You know, because there is a lot going on, sometimes it can be helpful to just focus on the actions. And the other interesting thing about crow, as you have people coming into the arm positioning and you're asking them to hug the elbows in, the scapula are upwardly rotating and also protracting. So this is the work of the serratus anterior. And this action we also see in postures like eagle, we see it in uh, downward dog to a certain extent. We definitely see it in shoulder stand. We definitely see it in dolphin. We definitely see it in uh, chaturanga. So it's actually a really cool theme for your sequences or for a sequence to focus on the action of the serratus anterior, upward rotation and protraction of the scapula and take people through several poses where the serratus uh, contribution is at work because now you can actually start to pull a common theme like a thread through those poses as you do them so that when you got to something like crow you'd already maybe done dolphin and you could say hey here we are coming into crow draw the elbows in by your sides see if you notice the scapula moving away from your spine like you possibly did in dolphin so it takes a little bit off of you in terms of starting from ground zero every single time you teach the pose in terms of the anatomy, because now you're sharing poses that have a similar anatomical theme. The action of the student is similar. And now you can start to create this common thread. You know, it's kind of like when you go see a comedian and they keep calling back to a particular joke throughout the uh, stand-up routine. It's a common theme. And we can definitely do that as teachers with our sequencing. And that's actually a really great way to teach students something about anatomy. You have this theme, you create postures that illustrate this theme. It's the common thread through your teaching of that particular sequence. And people leave with a good understanding of, wow, I never thought eagle and crow and shoulder stand and dolphin we're all related in terms of shoulder positioning. And now I have a better idea of that and why. So in terms of crow in particular, as you have people uh, come down, one of the things that can be challenging is you're asking them to kind of stick the landing. So one of the things I like to do is have people come into a squat and place their hands into shoulder width position, hug the elbows in and see if they can just rock forward, knees to elbows and rock back rock forward, knees to elbows and rock back. And I take them into that dynamic movement. And as they're doing it, 
I ask them to hug the elbows in and draw the belly button in and see if they can get a little hang time as they rock forward. Can they pause for a half a second with their toes off the ground and then rock back? Presenting it in this way works them towards the stick the landing hold aspect, but you've already walked them through some of the key actions. Hug the elbows in, draw the belly button in, press the floor away, draw the uh, scapula further apart. You know, you could even ask them to create a little bit of rounding of the upper back to emphasize the work of the serratus in scapular protraction. So that might be a way to present pro, um, you know, in, in a little bit more of a user-friendly way where it's not like a static setup. Set your hands down, hug your elbows in, put your knee on your elbow, put your other knee or put your knee on your upper arm. You know, coming into it in that way for a new student can be really difficult. So to start at the top, what you could say is you could have people, even from standing, just come down into a squat, place your hands on the ground, shoulder width distance apart and hug your elbows in. Rock forward and let your uh, knees touch your upper arms and rock back. Rock forward again and rock back. As you do it, keep your head up, gaze slightly forward. Rock forward, see if you can hold for a moment there, rock back. And then slow down a little bit more. Keep your gaze ahead, elbows in, knees to elbows. Draw the belly button in and see if you can hold for a moment or two with both feet off the floor. So that's an approach. The other aspect to keep in mind is the counterweight of head versus hips. So weight of the head, weight of the pelvis. You want to get the uh, person's head lifted slightly because if the head is dropping, it's like a teeter-totter. Now the, uh, the student's going to drop forward. Uh, typically people don't rock back more than forward. It's more typical for people to lean forward too much. So you can cue them to kind of lift the head a little bit and that'll counteract the weight of the pelvis and help them to find that kind of neutral hang time where they're in the posture. So that's your crow pose. So the next one is shoulder stand. So shoulder stand's a good one after crow because it is you know, kind of serratus heavy, so to speak. It doesn't have the doming of the upper back that you might see in a crow, but it does have the elbows in. So again, you could put a shoulder stand and a crow and a dolphin in a, a sequence together and talk about the serratus quite a bit. Um, shoulder stands, the kind of thing, I mean, you can definitely teach it with a blanket underneath the person so that the tops of their shoulders are in line with the blanket. You don't necessarily need to do that. I think it's helpful to orient the student that it is a shoulder stand. You're not really going to be using your neck, but your neck is going to be um, somewhat flat or parallel with the ground. Uh, but keep in mind, you want people to start out, or I would suggest you have people start out placing their hand um, between the cervical spine and the ground to notice that natural curve there in the cervical spine. So the cervical spine curves inward, which is a lordotic curve. You probably don't want to say that, but you do want to cue people in that they've got this inward curve of their um, cervical spine. And they want to keep that because they're using their shoulders to press off the ground. They're not using the back of their head or their neck and they really shouldn't be able to press into the ground with their neck because their cervical spine should be off the floor. So 
A way that I like to teach shoulder stand is I have people lay on their back, hug their knees into their chest and then hop up. So now their feet are off the floor, but their knees are still hugged in. So they're kind of in a curled up ball, but reverse <laughs> on their back instead of facing the ground. And this gives them a moment to orient their elbows in. So this is again, similar to what we did in crow, hug the elbows in by the sides of the body and root into their shoulders and their upper back. So now we're talking, you know, upper traps and their feet are hugged, I'm sorry, their knees are hugged into their chest. So they, they don't actually have any of the pressing up yet. So now we're just kind of really building it from the ground. And then once they've got the elbows hugged in and they feel their upper back pressing into the ground, have them press up with one leg first and have them press up with their foot in dorsiflexion instead of plantar flexion. Because now it's like they're standing upside down. They can really come into the action of the quadriceps to extend the knee. And as they have their foot in dorsiflexion, they can press the sole of their foot straight up to the sky. Once they get that leg up, have them repeat with the other leg and then continue to adjust the elbows in as they need to, preventing that all too familiar elbows winging out, slumping into the neck. So as they press the other foot up, hug the elbows in more, press up to the ceiling through the soles of the feet. And then once they're in it, they can change their foot positioning and do kind of a little bit more of a plantar flexion or demi point, whatever, whatever is comfortable for them. But I think to start them out, that rooting up through the foot and dorsiflexion is really helpful to engage the quadriceps and also really get them that upward momentum rather than sinking down. So to start them from the beginning, if we want to kind of run this through from beginning to end, lay onto your back, arms by your sides, hug your knees into your chest. Roll back onto your shoulders so your feet are off the floor, hug your elbows in, bring your hands onto your lower back. Continue to hug your elbows in and press your right leg up to the sky. Keep your foot flexed and keep pressing up. Keep hugging your elbows in. Press your left foot up to the sky. Keep hugging your elbows in. Now, if you want to release the flexion of your feet, you can. Otherwise, just keep pressing up to the sky, elbows in, hands onto your back. If you notice your hands start to slide down your back, keep hugging the elbows in work your hands down your back, which is really up your back, however you want to phrase that. So that's, you know, that's a little blurb about shoulder stand. I mean, I think as you're watching people, you know, getting the legs vertical is always the challenge, but I think really what's more important is to just watch those elbows. As the elbows splay out, just like in Chaturanga, it creates a cascading effect of, you know, things we don't want to see from an alignment perspective. So if you Keep asking them, hug those elbows in, you know, the other features of the posture usually engage. Um, and so then the last one we're going to look at is bow pose on the floor. So Dhanurasana, floor bow. And um, I always find this such a curious pose because when you think about bow itself, you know, as people lay on their belly and bend their knees and reach back for their feet, the typical presentation of bow has their shoulders in internal rotation. And you would think similar to standing bow, you'd want them to have their shoulders in external rotation. And when you teach standing bow, dancer's pose, you have typically you have people externally rotate the shoulder, thumb of the hand reaching behind them facing up, 
that shoulder's in external rotation. They grab the inside of their foot, blah, blah, blah. But now, you know, kind of the tradition of yoga has us putting people in floor bow, reaching the hands back with the thumbs down, bending the knees, grabbing the outer edges of the feet. You know, I feel like it's interesting because internal rotation of the shoulders is the work of the terrace major. External rotation of the shoulders is the work of the terrace minor. Now the terrace minor and the infraspinatus are collaborators when it comes to external rotation and they tend to be weak in people. So, you know, it's, it's a great thing to do active work where we're strengthening muscles that tend to be weak and terrace minor and infraspinatus as external rotators do tend to be weak. However, Interestingly, there aren't a lot of yoga postures we do where we ask people to actively internally rotate the shoulders. There's that archer arm scenario where you do have one shoulder in internal rotation, but in bow, if you take it the traditional way, you are having people internally rotate. So that's a good strengthener for uh, terrace major and lengthener for terrace minor. So, you know, when you look at something that we don't typically do a lot, from an anatomical action standpoint, it's probably a good thing to, to work in some poses where we do it. Um, but I just wanna make that distinction for you. Again, this is part of you know not slamming tradition. It's just part of looking at things curiously through a particular lens here, the anatomical lens, and recognizing some things that are part of tradition and not questioning them to say they're bad or wrong, but being intentional as a yoga teacher about what do you want to offer your students? Do you want to emphasize external rotation? Well, then guess what? You probably want to change the, the presentation of bow pose from the traditional to one where you have them on their bellies and have them reach their arms back, thumbs up, grab the inner edges of their feet, blah, blah, blah. Now, I will tell you, when you do change it up for people like that, they tend to get confused. So you have to really watch what people are doing. This would be hard to do if you're teaching virtually and make sure that they have their hands in the proper position. Um, but if you want to teach it the traditional way, that's fine. You can have them reach their hands back, thumbs down, bend the knees, grab the feet. Now, one thing to look for, you know, as we have people come into bow, we're asking them to come into hip extension. So now we're calling on muscles like psoas, uh, rectus femoris, to lengthen. If they're a little bit tight, the body is potentially going to try to get some extra range of motion from the knees by taking the knees wide because the hips can't move in that way as easily. So when you have people coming into bow, just watch for knees widening and see if you can encourage people to have their knees in line with their hips. One really fabulous modification I just recently saw uh, a picture of online is having a bolster uh, that you lay on, which instead of having then your, your torso parallel to the floor, now your torso is lifted a bit and then take bow that way. If you have access to props, that's an interesting way to do it to sort of compensate for tightness in, uh, in the hip flexors. So from the top, if we were to look at bow, we could say from the belly, you have your students at this point in the sequence on their belly. We, if we'll take it the traditional way, reach your arms back, Bend your right knee and grab the inner edge of your foot. Keep your knee in line with your hip. Do the same with the left. And then press your feet back into your hands and lift your chest. And just watch for too much press back. Modify as you need to. Take three breaths and release. 
So, you know, again, this is definitely one where people can overdo it because they've got that leverage point foot to hand. So you want to kind of clue them into just being sensitive to feedback they're getting and, you know, adjusting as they see necessary. So that takes us through uh, four postures. And, um, you know, I hope it was a helpful conversation. I would love to know what you think. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of breaking poses down. I'm also a big fan of telling people what the point of the pose is. I think that's something that's a really obvious feature we can highlight when we present poses so people know, you know, why am I even doing this posture? So that's something you can think of as a ongoing theme you can share with every pose you teach. Um, I do have a download, which is a, a kind of a systematic breakdown I created for understanding a cue from an anatomical standpoint. Um, it's a little bit of an intellectual exercise, and, and I think it can be helpful for you if you're hearing cues and you're wondering, what is the anatomy behind that cue? It can give you some of the criteria to think about with regard to that cue to try to figure it out. Of course, the best way is just to ask the teacher, hey, what's the deal with that cue? I don't really get what's happening there in terms of like you told us to do X. I don't, I don't get it. Can you explain it? And I'd always encourage you to do that. You know, if you're in class and you hear a cue and you don't get it, ask the teacher afterwards, like, hey, what's, wh why did you have us roll the inner eyes, the elbows out and down dog? I don't, I don't get what's supposed to be happening there. Um, and that's not to put the teacher on the spot. It's to really help you understand the anatomy and hopefully the teacher uh, knows the anatomy uh, or has a rationale for why they're sharing what they did. So in terms of my download, that gives you a little breakdown of how you can, you can do this. I'll put the link to it in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes or Podbean, uh, you'll have to go to the internet and look up the uh, episode here on my website, and then the description will have the link for the download there. Um, and then don't forget to contact me if you want to be featured on the podcast. I would love to have you uh, featured on the podcast, sharing your story of how teaching is going for you these days. So please send me a DM on Instagram or email me, karen at barebonesyoga.com. So I'm wishing you a really, really good week. Last week was my birthday week and I just had an awesome, awesome birthday uh, on the 29th. I turned 57, had a great dinner out, uh, got a really nice gift certificate to Lululemon, which I started to use, picked up some running gear, <laughs> not yoga gear, if you can believe that. Um, and uh, I just, I'm just feeling really optimistic about the last quarter of 2021. So I'm wishing you a good week. Thank you so much for listening. If you're still listening right now, you made it to the end of the episode and I really appreciate your time. I do not take it for granted that you are spending time with me on this podcast and I'm really, really appreciative for your listenership. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be back next week with another episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Hi, everybody. Karen Fabian here. And thank you so much for listening to that episode. Before you hang up, before you disconnect and move on with your day, I just want to let you know, if you're like a lot of the yoga teachers that I talk to, you're looking for ways to break down anatomy into its key parts so that you've got an organized approach for your studying. Well, I'm going to tell you an easy way that you can get hold, get a hold of 
the topics that you should be studying. And they're all reviewed in my Learn Anatomy Challenge. This is a free video series that you can access online, watch the videos, download the guide that goes with it, and you'll essentially have an outline to shape the studying that you're doing because it takes the broad subject of anatomy and breaks it down into just the key topics that you need to know. So in order to get to the Learn Anatomy Challenge free video series, you're going to need to go to the special URL, the special web page that holds these videos. So if you're driving right now, you're probably not going to be able to obviously write this down. If you're able to write this down, I want you to just grab a pen and a piece of paper and just write down this URL. You can also send me a direct message on Instagram and I'll send you the link directly. If you're looking for the URL, you want to just go to it yourself. Uh, I'm going to give it to you right now. It is barebonesyoga.lpages.co forward slash learn anatomy challenge forward slash. And in between the words learn anatomy challenge are hyphens. So it's learn hyphen anatomy hyphen challenge and then forward slash. So again, I'll just read you the URL, barebonesyoga.lpages.co forward slash learn hyphen anatomy hyphen challenge forward slash. So that's the webpage that holds all of these videos. There's nine of them. Uh, and you can go through those and you can take notes. You can print out the uh, guide that goes with it. That would be uh, that will be a great companion guide to have in front of you as you're going through these videos. So again, if you have any trouble getting to it, just send me a direct message on Instagram, and I'm happy to send you the link directly. Don't be on your own trying to study anatomy. Use this free video series to hone in on just the topics that you need to know. Good luck.